I actually have a pretty easy one to teach because this is the end. <laughs> um, so we come to the end of Paul's time with the Romans, and this is the conclusion of his ongoing letter that we've been studying um, here at Nurture. So um, I've decided to take the approach of going through sort of the whole thing piecemeal because I think he talks about a lot of really interesting and important things, um, but I also, I think I'll show you how it all ties together. And I'll be reading a lot of the verses out loud. It's just part of the way that I process, so I hope that that works well for you also. Um, so as you know, Paul is writing to a Roman church that is very divided. It's comprised of two very different groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And in the last few chapters, if you've been following along, um, he's been calling out some of the things that are causing ethnic division among these groups, like food and traditions and just lifestyles. And he's basically encouraging everyone to see past those things, which is what he continues to focus on um, in the beginning of this section. It starts out with Paul's guidance to being fulfilled in the Christian life through caring for others. So verse one is where I'll start. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So right off the bat in this section, Paul tells believers to build others up, to use our strengths for the purposes of lifting others up. He actually writes the same thing later in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is Paul's anthem. He has repeatedly told us that the larger body of Christ needs the full picture, and it's an ever-expanding body that needs us to look at each other and say, how can I lift you up? And you are a vital part of this body, just like I am. And I think that if we are to be honest with ourselves, this is not a simple ask at all. It's a lot harder than any of us would probably like to admit. Um, it goes firmly against what culture tells us, which is this idea of like looking out for number one, and that's just so much more common. In that worldview, you would say things along the lines of like, your loss is my gain. You know, do what makes you happy. Um, you know, you could be in that scenario where, oh, you know, it sucks her life is so crazy for her to be able to focus at work right now, but like this creates a great opportunity for me to move on. It's my time to shine. Um, it also goes against the almost instinctual opinions that we have about the way others are living their lives, especially when we don't agree with it. So think of some scenarios in which you might view someone's weaknesses. Um, I have a couple scenarios that I thought of. Let's think of a friend. Let's say we have a friend who drinks too much when you guys spend time together. You might be inclined um, to call out that they're acting irresponsibly or inappropriately or being bad stewards of their money, how much they spend on booze. Um, maybe that results in talking about this friend behind their back or in you distancing yourself from this friend. But what if instead you bore this friend's weakness, what would this look like? Or your friend who continuously complains about her marriage um, and it's just falling apart before you. Or maybe your friend who's so concerned with her appearance and she goes to just extraordinary lengths to change it and you just know there's stuff going on in there. What would this look like if you bore their weaknesses instead? 
how would your response to this friend be different? This made me think of when we lived in San Diego not that long ago. We were in a duplex and we shared a wall with our neighbors, a girlfriend and boyfriend who were living together and they had just like the most intense fights, like, like cussing and slamming doors and like you could hear every insane word of it, which is so irritating because we had a newborn. <laughs> and it was just irritating for many reasons. Anyways, and I was meanwhile like in a really low place in my own life. I felt like every member of my family was battling health problems. Um, we were super lonely. We had just moved away after having a baby. And I think about like how sad that picture is of these like two families living on either side of a single wall for almost two years. And we were in like desperate need of support in our own ways. Not once did we ever like actually have a conversation beyond just casual small talk, like going in and out of our cars. Not once did we ever share a meal together. Um, I feel like that's so sad, but it's also just not very far off from how so many people today live amongst their neighbors. I wondered in doing this study what would have happened if our neighbors and us, we bore each other's weaknesses instead. Quite a different picture, I would think. So Paul goes on with the zinger in verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen upon me. So why should we accept one another? Because we have been accepted by Christ. He had every reason to boast. He was faultless. Instead, he bore our weaknesses to the point of death. But... You might say, what does this look like for us in our lives? Um, and we've said this over and over again in our time here at Nurture, and I really love this the way it can be so simply boiled down to saying, if there's ever any confusion, just look at Jesus' life. His model was more or less one of self-denial, self-displeasing. Each of us has this natural instinct to want to like protect our own giftings, our own abilities, our own convictions, like choices, whatever it is that makes us who we are. But the only one who had any reason to be lifted high, what did he do? He humbled himself over and over and over again. He exchanged power for humility, glory for lowliness, life for death. He did this for me, for you, for our children, for our neighbors, for our parents. And starting in verse 4, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. I love the reminder here of the God who gives endurance and encouragement in verse 4. Some translations use the God of patience. I feel like these are such intentional words that remind us that this unity and this grace that we are called to, it comes from the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but it reminds us of the patience and grace that God extends to us over and over and over again. Don't be separated, but instead receive one another as Christ received us in pure grace, knowing yet bearing with our faults. 
He also says that we do this in order to glorify God. I want to acknowledge that I realize how much easier this is said than done. It can be really, really scary to put ourselves out there or possibly, you know, jeopardize friendships or relationships, even when we have good intentions. But let's go back to what Paul says here about endurance and encouragement being granted from God, the Holy Spirit, that this is not something that we are to muster up in ourselves, but rather we pray about how we can be used. This is also in line with the sermons you've been hearing if you've been attending Creekside over the last few weeks in the sense that bringing this glory to God also demonstrates to the outside world that our selfishness does not supersede our love. It tells the world that there is room at the table of God. Um, in the kingdom of God, everyone is welcome. Um, I found a quote um, on the topic of just as Christ also received us from C.H. Spurgeon. Christ did not receive us because we were perfect, because he could see no fault in us, or because he hoped to gain somewhat at our hands. Ah, no, but in loving condescension, covering our faults and seeking our good, he welcomed us to his heart. So in the same way and with the same purpose, let us receive one another. I have a dear friend that I have known for the last eight or nine years. Um, it was one of those friendships that from the very beginning, it was just really close, despite the fact that we were very, very, very different people. Our lives have always looked extremely different. Um, you know, I was married when we met. She was single, just totally different paths. Um, but our paths still over, overlapped, and we developed a really real connection, and we shared faith in God, but this whole time, she was in the midst of like a really rocky and tragic time in her life. Um, as a result, she was making a lot of really dangerous decisions, especially with men. She was exposing herself to people in ways that put her in a very vulnerable position, and she was very troubled um, by the circumstances of her life and the product of her lifestyle. I struggled so much with this friendship because at times it just felt so much easier to wash my hands of it and just be like, dude, you're on your own. <laughs> like, this is too insane for me. Because I just struggled so much to get through to her and like the way that I wanted to. And I just so often wanted to scream like, what are you doing? And I realized though that like through so much prayer, genuinely through a lot of prayer because I had to, that what I needed to do was just remain being a loving presence in her life that offered her open arms no matter what, but also remained firm in my own foundation. In fact, people have actually asked me over the years, like, why are you friends with her? You know, like, this seems to like literally bring stress on your life to be friends with her. And eight years later, I have very recently witnessed an incredible surrender and transformation with this friend. And I cannot put into words like what it all means to me, but I have witnessed healing that came through God and in his timing. And the other day, um, this friend of mine who is like a robot, like not an emotional person, she cried to me over the phone as she thanked me for never giving up on her and offering her a safe place. And then she, she just says, I'm surrendering my life to the Lord. And so, however, admittedly, there are 
plenty of other relationships in my life that I can't give such a sweet testimony for. I personally struggle with where's the line to be drawn here? <laughs> like, or is it supposed to be drawn at all? I don't know. What about when certain people's weaknesses are totally bringing us down, you know, causing strife in our own lives as we lay them down for others? It's so confusing. But I feel like this eight-year-long story with my friend was just such a gift from God reminding me that when it feels hopeless or like I just want to throw my hands up in the air, he is still at work and his timing is perfect. He, the God of patience, is good. (laughs) So he goes on in the next few verses. He references um, Psalm 18 and then brings us to verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul concludes this section, as I see it, with a prayer here, and he's reminding us that God equips us to be unified. And then he shifts gears to encourage the Romans to do what they know is right. And he spends sort of he spends some time sort of using himself as an example. He makes it personal. He talks about his own calling to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, starting with verse 14. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have no reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains... I'm sorry, no way. I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus (laughs) regarding... Totally the opposite. What pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum. I don't know how to say that. So, interesting point there, I thought, just um, just an actual little fact that this geographical reference he's making here um, from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, in today's world would be from Jerusalem to like Yugoslavia, Albania, and that's like 1,740 miles. And that's how far he journeyed because of what God had done in his life. No cars, you know, that's pretty amazing. And Paul glorifies the work that God has done through him by bringing salvation to the Gentiles by speaking only of the things that God did through him. He humbles himself as he glorifies God, saying that none of it would be possible without God and it was only possible because of God. Closeness to Christ led Paul to building up of saints. But this is our calling as well, guys. Closeness to Christ can lead us up to build other to build others up, point others to Christ in harmony. This reminds me of our nurture stories. It reminds me of why we are intentional about fellowship. We glorify God every time we open up and share about how he has worked in our lives. Paul said to the Romans, I love this because it's just such a strong statement, I know you are filled with goodness and are able to instruct one another. He's not talking about like book smarts and good deeds or like this in-depth knowledge of the word. He's talking about the work that Christ has done, the Holy Spirit that resides within us. We are all equipped, just as Paul was. 
So Paul continues to desire to preach the gospel in new places. He's just so convicted about being a pioneer in his work for the Lord. He quotes the Old Testament, which he believes he is fulfilling. He says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. So Paul has a great desire to do pioneer work, which is why he hasn't come to see the Romans yet. He's been busy. Paul's heart was for those who had not yet been reached. He really wanted to break ground and bring the truth of God's grace to those who did not yet know of it. There's nothing wrong, though, just to be clear, with preaching the gospel of Christ where it has already been preached. It's really a necessary practice for so many reasons. But what this makes me think of is my own heart as someone who really resonates personally with Paul's mission to reach the unreached, um, because I am just surrounded by unbelieving friends and family. And I didn't even come to my own faith until I was like 23. In fact, I, like Paul, was like adamantly against Christianity before I ever encountered Jesus. I just, no. This is crazy stuff. Um, My own experience fuels the heart that I have for others who haven't yet had their own encounter um, because I just feel like I have this ability to resonate with them. But I think it's a good reminder for all of us that we have our own hearts, our own bents, our own callings, our own hearts for different kinds of people. And I encourage you all to lean into that, to pray about it, and just let it be used by God for his glory. So then Paul lays out his plans in verse 23. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there, once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. I love this. It's just like such a glimpse of Paul's humanity. He's now done with the work in those unreached regions, and he's excited to finally come see the Romans. This little glimpse of humanity in Paul's words indicate to me that he realized his own need for community and fellowship. I envision like this, you know, great Paul. He's making plans just like we do, longing for some community, and he just becomes so much more like normal and relatable to me in these verses. In verses 25 through 28, he goes on to describe that before he makes it to the Romans, he has to make one more stop in Jerusalem to deliver some financial aid. And then he asks the Romans to pray along with him in this part of his journey. He had hoped to then visit the Romans on a future visit to Spain. And in fact, we later learn that this does not work out for him. He does not go to Rome as a missionary on his way to Spain, but rather he goes as a prisoner on house arrest, awaiting trial before Caesar, where he would absolutely preach the gospel, but in a very different way. Clearly, God had a plan for Paul to preach to the emperor of Rome himself. I read in one commentary, even in chains, Paul did not allow others to dictate whether or not he operated in the Holy Spirit. Even in chains, he was able to teach about the kingdom of God. So it is believed that Paul eventually did make it to Spain to preach in the book of Acts. You would read a little bit about that. And so this history, these verses tell me a few things. One is that your ability to share the gospel is not dependent on the perfect placement or timing. It doesn't require you to have come to this like perfect place of understanding and peace in your own life. Um, 
they also are Paul's way of making the point that this mission, this gospel that we've been all been called to preach, it's a worldwide mission. And the good news of the gospel, the blessing of Christ, is meant to reach every corner of the world. In verse 29, he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I also love this verse so much. He says that coming in, in coming to the Romans and experiencing the fellowship within the body of Christ, he will be experiencing the very kingdom of God, the fullness of the blessing of Christ. This is such a beautiful description of community if you, if you think about it, and you just don't overlook this. Like Paul, we can walk in abundance at all times. Imagine a life in which we could operate in full grace, like we are called to, in full confidence that we can bring the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. Verse 30, now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Here he's referencing the conservative church in Jerusalem, that he might not be negatively perceived as like this dangerous innovator. And I kind of imagine this isn't too far off from how our own pastors here at Creekside might be feeling lately as they've been approaching really controversial topics. So a <laughs> little way to make it feel personal here. Um, in 32, he says, and in that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. So Paul is concluding his letter with a really bold statement about how the gospel is meant to move and work. It's meant to come to us and flow through us to others. And this is his wish for himself and all believers. He asks for their prayers, sensing that he is going to face some danger and difficulty amongst the unbelievers. He uses the word strive, not just pray, but struggle or fight in prayer to God by the love of the Spirit. This is just not a casual prayer request. It's a plea. And this is also just so applicable for us today. It's a reminder for us here, just as Paul needed the prayers that our own pastors and ministers and church leaders need our prayers too, and how important it is for us as a body to support them in that way. I just think that in our society, this is just such an overlooked need. Um, the Greek word strive together I'm not going to try to say it. It's a crazy word. Literally means agonized together. The same root word for agony is used in Jesus's anguished prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asks his disciples to agonize with him in prayer, and they failed at that like, critical moment and left him to struggle alone. Another translation says, be my allies in the fight. We cannot leave our church leaders to struggle alone. We can so easily forget that they are just people too who need prayer and encouragement just as much as the next person. And Paul demonstrates this here as part of the body of Christ. And it should be a reminder to us that we can be a people who confess out loud how much we too need Jesus and we can lovingly also push one another into his presence. It's just such a vulnerable and beautiful um, request that he's making. He closes it with, may the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. So I urge you 
not to take this message and feel overwhelmed by like the weight of responsibility, but rather feel encouraged. Um, the times that I've shared with you ladies in this room, listening to your stories and just hearing your words, they have been so inspiring to me. And we're so fortunate that we can carve out this sacred like space and time every week to serve exactly this purpose that Paul's talking about, but it doesn't need to stop here. You as you are, are equipped to be part of Paul's mission, Christ's mission, and God is with you. Um, I wanted to like find a way to paint a picture of kind of what this life would look like that Paul's, you know, encouraging us into. And I found this piece that was written by an anonymous author, and I think it so beautifully gives a picture of what it would look like if we lived in that kind of world that Paul is encouraging. So I'm just going to read it to you. It is written from the perspective of a mother, but I think it's just so widely applicable, and I want to share it with you before I wrap up. Every day I go about my life, drive my children to and fro, make breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and change my baby's diapers in my four-walled house while the world buzzes around me, busy and fast. My little plays on the floor, and I watch him pluck toy after toy out of a large box in the corner of the room, and although my life is rich with many things, I think about you because I miss the village. I miss the village that I never had, the one with mothers doing the washing side by side, clucking and laughing hysterically, tired in body but quick in spirit. We'd know each other so well, annoying each other from time to time, but never staying mad long because the truth is we need each other. The days would be full of conversation as we expertly flexed a muscle that has since gone weak, the art of listening. Quiet empathy in lieu of passive judgment. And when called for, gentle, sincere advice. In our village, our members are our estate, and we build them up. We'd laugh too much and never enough at the same time, whether it be stifled giggles overflowing out of covered mouths like a pot of water bubbling over, or donkey brays loud enough to wake the children, we'd be skilled at finding the joy in the mundane. We'd cry, never alone, but shoulder to shoulder over unborn children gone too soon or men who'd changed their minds. We'd stitch back the frayed edges of each other's lives the best we could, wiping the tears off of each other's cheeks. If any of us became lost in the darkness, we'd journey into the depths of her heart and pull her body back to shore. When mealtime came, we'd set the food out on long tables and the children would eat happily and hungrily as they tend to when in the company of other small people. They'd talk about their adventures and to their exaggerated disappointment, we'd make them take the younger children this time to teach them what we already know. We exist for each other. When one of us was feeling sick or needed extra rest from a long night up with a child, we'd swoop in and tend to her children as we would our own. And for as long as necessary, no need to even ask. She would drift off to a healing sleep with full confidence. We'd want her to be well because we'd know that we're only as strong as our weakest member. And not only that, we'd love her not with the sappy love of greeting cards, but with an appreciative love that has full knowledge of how her colors add to our patchwork. You'd know me and I'd know you. I'd know your children and you'd know mine, not just on a surface level, but real true knowledge of the soul that flickers behind their eyes. I'd trust them in your arms and just must, as much as I'd trust them in mine. 
I miss that village of mothers that I've never had, the one we've traded for homes that, despite being a stone's throw, feel miles apart from each other, the one we traded for locked front doors, blinking devices, and afternoons alone on the floor playing one-on-one with our littles. What gives me hope is... As I look at you from across the park with your own child in tow, playing in her own corner of the sandbox, I can tell from your curious glance and shy smile that you miss it too. Maybe we'll have it again, but for today, I'll invite you and your little one over for tea and maybe bread. So as we go into worship today, um, I want you to take some time to acknowledge the story that God is writing in the lives of every single one of his children, all who were made in his image, just like you and me, and who are on their own journey with him. Let us remember that the kingdom of God resides within us and the abundant blessing of Jesus is available for us to live and operate within all the time. Let us bring light to the world around us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let God's love and truth be evident in our lives.